Dr. Heckle is sponsored by Comma Comedians. Comma Comedians is a comedy collective based in Memphis, Tennessee, that run free comedy shows all across Bluff City. For more information, follow Comma Comedians on Facebook or Instagram. That's at Comma, C-O-M-M-A, Comedians. Proud sponsor of Dr. Heckle. The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. But the whole world was having dark ages at that time, you know, except for, well, no, not, not the one area. What, what was it? Where were they doing? Okay. Cause then England went down there later and took all their stuff. That's how they got better. The Crusades. Where that, where was oh, that at? Oh, um, was it the Byzantine empire that was doing? No, no, I think no, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm talking about like the, the Arabs. Oh, they were doing Saracens. really good. They were coming yeah. up with like zero and shit and alcohol and all <laughs> this stuff and um you know and then england went down there and was like what's all this then we're gonna take your zeros yeah right. we're gonna take your zeros we're gonna take your <laughs> I, I really like the look of this zero yeah i like the it's very uniform this is we're gonna put it at the end of all our numbers this is freaking useful as hell we're gonna <laughs> Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that just took a DNA test. Turns out we're 100% that On today's episode, what Brexit means for science in the UK, ranked choice voting in Memphis, and a giant parrot in New Zealand. Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that is as widely distributed as Alaskan sea ice in the present day. With me on the show today with a Master's in Cultural Anthropology from the University of Arkansas, Director of Communications at Rank Choice Tennessee, Carlos Ochoa. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And with a Master's in Journalism from the University of Memphis, comedian Doug Gillum. Welcome and to the show. And also a undergraduate in Journalism from the University of Missouri. Double journalism. And the doctor with the real PhD, Niraj Trivedi. Welcome to the show. Hello. I am, of course, your host, Mark Brimble. Now, uh, Doug, uh, you're here as a as a comedian. Yeah. Uh, just here as a as a jerk. Let's take the uh, the your uh, your opinion on how uh, the Memphis comedy scene is at the moment, and you're of course a member of the Comma Comedians that run shows throughout here in Memphis. You act like you're not. I am. I am also a member of this uh, of this comedy group. Uh, uh, tell us about uh, what's what's going on. Uh, well, we have a good time here in Memphis. Uh, we've got a comedy club that's rocking uh, at Chuckles. That's out there in Cordova. They had Lavelle Crawford there last weekend. I tell you guys, I saw Lavelle Crawford at Chuckles last week. This is a guy he played Huel on Breaking Bad. You know this guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I saw maybe two hours of material from him throughout the weekend. I just kept going. Like the shows were so fun and they were so full. I just kept going. And I never heard the same joke twice. I mean, this guy was just rolling. And I was talking to the, his MC afterwards and he said, oh, yeah. One time they did uh, some kind of weekend where they did 10 shows in five days. So with Lavelle doing an hour and 15, an hour and a half every single time. And yeah, so 75 to 90 minutes every time he said, never heard the same joke twice. The guy's, the guy's a beast. He's a, di- he's a dynamo. Uh, absolutely amazing to watch that. Chuckles is great. That's going on uh, every weekend. They got great people. Uh, we do stuff, comic comedians. We got great stuff, uh, independent stuff that we do. Uh, mostly at breweries. It was real fun. People seem to like it. People like the brewery shows. Yeah, for sure. they do. They do. It took a little figuring out with some of the production. We get the sound right to these big bouncy rooms, but uh, we got that figured out now pretty well. And uh, people are coming in. We got somebody from Chicago coming in tonight. We got a lot of local Memphians that rotate in and out of the shows. They're very, very funny. The shows are all free. 
which is real nice. We also do a couple in bars. Uh, one of them is a local downtown. It's every other Wednesday. Uh, Mississippi Ale House, Memphis Made Brewery, Meddlesome Brewery, and, uh, and Crosstown Brewery, which is right here. And then also uh, once a year, or at least this year again, we're doing a, a show back at High Cotton Brewery. That'll be a breast cancer fundraiser. That one won't be free. But uh, all the other shows raise money for St. Jude, which is pretty cool. I think wow. you two know a little bit about that. Um, well, about St. Jude. You definitely know about the fundraising. Um, and to date, I think it's a four-year going on fundraiser. Raised seven, $7,000. Yeah, it's over $7,000 yeah, nice. well, at this point. Yeah. And uh, we've, we've gone up, I think, 2000 just in the past year. So we're seeing a lot of, maybe even more than that. Yeah, so it's, it's rapidly increased yeah, in, in the past year. We've, we've had a really good year in terms of uh, expanding to be able to do more shows, um, certainly a lot more audience attention. And uh, I talk about Chuckles, but going out there, I've been seeing the same stuff. You know, the first year you'd have some weekends that were full and some that weren't. But now, every time I go there, the shows are full. And every time I go to our shows, which is every time because we put them on, uh, the shows are, the shows are full. Um, and, and that's great. I'm really glad that people are starting to, uh, understand that comedy is available in Memphis and, 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 and that they like it enough that they come back. Uh, so that's great to me because I love doing it and I love seeing people laugh. Um, if you're listening and you want to find out, Hey, where's all this great comedy happening? I would encourage you to check out, uh, chuckles or check out our stuff. We have a Facebook page. It's called, uh, comma comedians. That's spelled like the punctuation. Uh, let's be clear. This is not karma comedians, but it is comma comedians is in the punctuation. Now it's not like you type a comma on your keyboard and then write comedians that won't get you there. <laughs> but if you write the word comma C O M M A and then comedians. And again, this is searching in Facebook, although you can search in Google too. It'll probably give you the same thing. Then you can get that. And we are on other social medias, but that's really the best way to see everything that's happening. We certainly didn't do much search engine optimization when we were thinking about the name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also here's a fun thing. If you're trying to remember it, if you don't remember that it's not karma, but is in fact comma, but not the punctuation, but spelled out, but spelled out like the punctuation. If you're having trouble remembering all that, you can just think of the boy George song uh, and then just say comma a bunch of times uh, like that. And then it'll, it'll lead you to comedians at the end, as opposed to chameleon. And, and then there you are. And I haven't made it any harder. If that's too hard and you want to just know like about even more stuff that's going on in Memphis comedy, chuckles, independent stuff, whatever, just get on this app called meetup. It's fantastic. Uh, they get a lot of different groups, a lot of different interests. People post little things and we have one called Memphis comedy and, uh, and we post uh, our stuff, other people's stuff, put a lot of stuff up on there and you can uh, always find a place to have a laugh. Great that stuff. was a very funny speech, wasn't it? Great yeah. stuff. Delivered with great gusto. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Carlos, yeah. uh, you uh, are the director of communications for an organization called uh, Ranked Choice Tennessee. And that is uh, involved in uh, an issue uh, called Ranked Choice Voting. Can you give us a little explanation about what Ranked Choice Voting is and why, uh, why this issue is important to Tennessee? Well, Ranked Choice Voting, it's an electoral reform that... Uh, allows people to rank their choices in order of preference at the ballot box. So it's a way to avoid runoff elections by combining a general election and a runoff election into a single election. And a runoff election is something that uh, takes place between two top candidates. Right. So generally, in a general election, if no candidate receives a majority vote, then there has to be a runoff election six weeks later between the top two vote getters. And that is something that at the moment results in uh, two things, right? That a lower turnout is one and yeah. uh, a lower, uh, a higher cost of elections total, or has that not been studied? 
Well, yeah. So there is a dollar cost associated with having runoff elections. You know, I forget how much many hundreds or thousands of dollars it costs per vote. It's actually really high compared to uh, the rest of the country. Um, so when you have to have a runoff, you have additional costs. And then you also have fewer people participating because people have to take off work a second time. They have to find a reliable transportation a second time. They have to move their medical appointments around, et cetera, et cetera. That some people just don't know. So in some districts in Memphis, there's been a 90% drop-off rate. So one in well, nine in ten people don't come back for the runoff elections in some places. Wow, that's. I imagine that like hurt that it's not an even distribution either of, of people. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, just as you can imagine, uh, voter turnout is uh, lower in places that have historically not been invested in. Gotcha. And so, um, how how would rank choice voting uh, help that situation? So ranked choice voting would basically allow people to participate in the general election uh, and instantly participate if there has to be um, a runoff election. So it, runoff elections, they are ranked choice voting elections. They work just like any other election that you rank your, except, you know, you rank your top three choices. And so uh, the first candidate to receive 50% plus one of uh, the first place vote uh, ranking place, first place rankings. Um, <laughs> wins the election just like any other election. But if they don't, then um, the candidate with the fewest votes is eliminated. And if you voted for that person as your number one choice, your number two choice becomes your number one. And the whole thing is recounted. So it's an instant runoff election. Gotcha. So instead of coming back six weeks later, you literally do it six seconds later by marking your second and third place choices. Gotcha. And this is something that was voted for by the people of Memphis a couple of times. Uh, but hasn't been implemented and won't be implemented for this uh, for this latest round in October. And so is that why your organization is uh, is trying to get the word out about about ranked choice voting is um, is it a more uh, you want to expand this to other areas of the state? Well, uh, other areas of the state are interested in uh, pursuing ranked choice voting in their municipal elections um, because a lot of people, a lot of places are experiencing the same kind of voter drop-off rates in their own runoff elections, and they're costly. And pe- voters get fatigued. Voters don't want to come back. You know, I mean, just so people are interested in uh, exploring electoral reform in places like Nashville and Knoxville and Chattanooga, Signal Mountain, which we spoke. You know, yeah. <laughs> Signal Mountain, which is a small town. Hey, what do you guys uh, know about Signal Mountain? What, what do I know about Signal Mountain? How high uh, is the mountain in Signal Mountain? I still don't know how high the mountain <laughs> Signal Mountain is. Describe it in kilometers. <laughs> that would actually work. <laughs> yeah, that's not a stretch. <laughs> and so, uh, and so at the Maybe moment, for an American, it is. <laughs> oh yeah, metric. <laughs> at the moment, uh, Carlos, there is a lawsuit going on, or or there is about to be a lawsuit. Yeah, so we there's a court case um, that's an administrative um, uh, court case uh, between Mark Goings and a number of plaintiffs. Uh, and Mark Goings, he's the state election commission coordinator who basically says that ranked choice voting does not comply with state law. And so we're seeking some clarification on that to get relief so that Memphis can implement ranked choice voting. Gotcha. So uh- if once we had exhaust those administrative remedies, then we will go to chancery court or 
other plaintiffs will go to chancery court, uh, depending on what happens at this uh, administrative hearing. But it's likely that nothing's going to happen at the administrative hearing uh, because Mark Goings is both a plaintiff and a judge in that case. You can serve, is it legal for you to serve as both? Well, that's a, apparently it is legal. Interesting. <laughs> the, I wow. mean, yeah, it seems so bizarre. That does seem pretty, pretty bizarre. How bizarre. Uh, now, I guess I'm going to ask for your for your, um, for your optimism. So, so uh, ranked choice voting was voted on twice by the uh, people of Memphis, correct? In two referenda, and it was uh, voted in favor of around about seventy percent in both cases. But the first instance was in 2008. Right. It is now the year 2019. Uh, what year or when do you think ranked choice voting is going to be implemented in Memphis? On your most optimistic, uh... Uh, well, if there are special elections in the near future, I mean, the latest twenty twenty three, the latest twenty twenty three, right? The latest. Uh, well, why? Does, why? Did, what makes you say that that would be the latest? That it would be? Is that because that's the next set? That's, next set of big elections, right? That's the next cycle. Uh, so if there's a, if we get. Or if a judge issues Memphis some relief and ranked choice voting does get implemented, which we feel pretty good about if we're able to get into chancery court, uh, then Memphis will have no choice but to fulfill its obligation to fulfill the, 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 yeah, the charter amendments. Gotcha. Right. So if there's a special election between uh, that uh, court uh, case and the next election, then maybe ranked choice voting will be used. Oh, I see. But uh, but if it w- someone needs to have a scandal and have to resign, just so uh, just so yeah. we have a chance to try it out before the next big set of elections. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of some people who maybe shouldn't resign. I don't know. <laughs> they got they could do better. Have a service, project, or product you need to get the word out on? Call 901-800-7608 or email info at theoamnetwork.com and ask about our podcast sponsorship packages. Welcome back to the Dr. Heckle podcast. We move on to our news item of the week. Well, today's article doesn't quite come from a news outlet. It comes from uh, gov.uk, which is the UK government website, and it says... PM sets out vision to cement UK as a science superpower. What? The world's top scientists will be encouraged to move to the UK under a shakeup of immigration rules announced by the Prime Minister today. This is just an attempt to reclaim British glory lost since the American Revolution and further diluted <laughs> after World War II. Interesting. Uh, so, so this is, do you know what this is about? I know I just said what it's about. Like that's literally my opinion on the situation. So, so uh, Boris Johnson, the new prime minister of oh, the United that guy. Kingdom. Hey, isn't that that guy who looks like Nick Nolte if he was way more boring? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. He looks kind of like the guy from Flock of Seagulls if he never learned how to do hair. <laughs> he messes that up on purpose. He does. does yeah. it, is there a whole Before thing? Before he goes on stage or anything, he actually- Deliberately. Like, it's deliberate. like part of a buffoonish look. Does it make him really? more relatable? He isn't a buffoon. He pretends to be one so he can get away with shit. Like what? 
I thought uh, he was trying to make you guys a, a science superpower. <laughs> For example. So, so uh, wow. in, in relation to... How does he have affairs if he looks like a buffoon? Like, what women are attracted to that? People are attracted to power. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he instructed the Home Office and Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy to work with the scientific community to develop a new fast-track visa uh, to bring the brightest and best. So, currently, there are tiers of visas you can get to... Uh, come and live and work in the UK. And uh, scientists coming to work are currently under a tier two uh, visa, which basically means they they need uh, a reference from what well, they need, uh, letters from their employer. They need a lot yeah. more. It's a, it's a lot more stringent than uh, tier one visas, which, um, which uh, are exceptional talent visas. Now, they basically this this would uh, increase the number of institutions that could use the tier one uh, exceptional talent visas to attract people, um, and ex- you know expanding the the list of institutions that could endorse candidates and uh, criteria that would basically meet, lead to automatic endorsement of those uh, candidates, so that you can attract people to come to these institutions isn't this also an excuse for him to reject visas for his undesirables well so actually what this is in mitigation to is the is brexit in general so brexit Mm -hmm. is seen by the scientific community to have a huge negative impact on science Mm -hmm. yeah i thought brexit was seen by the everything community to have a huge negative impact on everything except for the British people that voted for it. Yeah. So what about that's science? A, that's a 20,000 mile view. Yeah. So, so, okay. So, uh, science is very expensive to conduct and you need, uh, you need good funding streams. Uh, at the moment, the UK is part of, uh, the European research council. And, uh, there are these things called horizon 2020 grants and, you know, the, there will be, uh, an equivalent scheme moving beyond, uh, 2020. Yeah, Cal- what do you do in 2021? Is so, that like vanishing point 2021? And then does it get like outer space 2022? I mean, well, how do you move <laughs> past the horizon? Is what I'm saying. New, uh, will of new horizons. Well of souls. <laughs> no, we'll have solved all of science. <laughs> oh, we'll have solved all of. Well, I love well, well of, of souls, souls 2022. Yes. That's what I'm That's about. Wicked. You get into some mystic stuff over here. It's like the Mortal Kombat plot line just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> the show title. <laughs> <laughs> well of Souls 2022. There you go. Wow. You fund a movie called Well of Souls. This is how we get to can. Yeah. So, <laughs> dude. My God. So, uh, everyone in the EU currently pays in to this uh, European research fund. And then England takes all the money. England takes a lot more than it pays in. So, England pays in about a billion a year. Well, why didn't Boris Johnson write that on a bus? And it takes out... <laughs> It takes out uh, 1.5 billion every year, so it's getting a huge return on its investment because there are good research institutions that are writing good grants and get, and getting funded, and there are a lot of uh, fantastic scientists who already are attracted to to the UK to to work. Uh, losing that will have a very significant impact on the quality of research that can get done. Now, also, uh, also, it prevents uh, the UK being collaboration partners with with many uh, EU groups. So there are there are there's talk of people that um, are already being uh, UK ex- institutions are already being excluded from European research projects 
already having more difficulty in obtaining these European research fund grants even before uh, Britain has left the EU because it's seen by reviewers of, well, what, they won't even be able, eligible to receive this money after the 31st of October anyway. How can we, uh, how can we provide it? Uh, also, it reduces uh, the UK to third country status, basically. So you can still technically apply for these visas. Third country. The, the, so uh, you can still technically apply as groups uh, for these, not visas, for these uh, grants and, uh, and awards. Uh, but when you take, uh, when you when you remove the country from the EU, there are other countries that are not in the EU that still apply for these grants, but they have they have to go through a different means. They're not viewed in the same way as an EU country that's consistently that's what paying. Third, in. would you say third country? Yeah, in this in this uh, system, that's More what third country, third party. One of one of the reasons that this would be so disastrous losing losing this uh, this money is it seems like a likelihood because no agreement has been struck to maintain access to this European source of funding and to still pay into it. Uh, it's almost like if there was just one big agreement that you had between all these 27 countries, like and then if England could treaty. be a part of that, like yeah. some kind of union, union almost of European yeah. countries. Wow. I don't know what you'd what call, it, call it, but <laughs> you could put something like that together. It seems like it would make this easier. They could call it on a list of a bunch of they call countries. It, they could call it like a... Like a In union. Yeah, they could. It could be like a France and Germany and England and everybody else group. That could there be the go. word for it. Yeah. The European Pact. The European, like the European yeah. Pact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, so, um, one of the leading institutions in the UK, uh, the Francis Crick Institute, ran a, a survey of its uh, research group principal investigators, and they found ninety-seven percent of uh, those who responded wanted to join. Horizon Europe, you know, funding projects. So ninety percent of so ninety seven percent of those uh, researchers wanted to uh, join in and access this, but will, will likely uh, not have the ability. And did the, the other did the other three percent want to join Well of Souls twenty twenty? <laughs> <laughs> they the other three percent just express express no preference. Uh, now <laughs> they're not, they're not as cool as I thought they were then. Uh, now no agreement has been struck with this Horizon Europe, you know. 2021 post, uh, you know, system as of yet. Uh, this this is causing a serious uh, a serious problem because uh, there's been reports of researchers stocking up on research materials because they're worried that there won't be the uh, mm. the availability or uh, the import won't be quick enough. What kind of after. research materials do you stock up on? Uh, cell culture materials, so all the plasticware, or mm. or um, you know kits of things that are imported from other I'm countries. I'm just trying to get you to say drugs. Yeah, drugs from drugs, uh, drugs yeah. from European countries or chem uh, com chemical compounds that are needed for yeah, there's a experiments. Lot of, there's a lot of big pharmaceutical uh, companies in Germany, for example, like Millipore, that provide a lot of kits and things that we use every day in the lab. And so if you don't have good access to those, or you're going to have to pay an extra amount of tax on those to get them into the country, then... It could, it could balloon your costs of research. I have a recommendation mm. for what you can do if you have to pay extra Is tax on your, on your lab uh, <laughs> on your lab materials. Uh -huh. You can throw them in the harbor. <laughs> <laughs>
So I'm so proud of myself. Yeah, well done, mate. Well done. (laughs) Now uh, we can let the listeners decide if there's a theme to the show today. (laughs) Whether whether Doug went and saw a particular show. Yeah, I did. The Orpheum. I saw I saw Hamilton a couple weeks ago, and I'm and I'm fired up about it. I also think it's incredibly funny to just constantly bring up the American Revolution to two British guys. I'm just so excited about that. Know your audience. You know, we were never taught about the American, at least I yeah. was never taught about the American we're Revolution. We're not. Well, you know, you swipe really? your failures under the table, you know? It's okay. No, it's just that we have a lot more history than 200. <laughs> Look, at Look at this guy. Yeah. And you've done so well with it. I mean, you're leaving the We've best learned. group you've ever been yeah. in. You know, We've you learned. guys are really making good decisions nowadays. So, yeah, that, uh, leaving that group is going to cause a lot of economic damage by uh, by all projections. And that will also cause- Oh, that was what he wrote on cause- the bus. That was- Brexit causing economic damage on all projections. <laughs> Sign us up. <laughs> that will. <laughs> That's how he could turn people around. That will also hinder Britain's ability to uh, to meet a uh, target of a scientific investment, uh, which was two point four percent of GDP. Now, if you're losing like uh, over half a billion in excess a year, it's going to be very difficult for them to meet that target, especially when you've taken a hit in other economic areas and have to divert. You know funds uh, elsewhere to keep the country running. Now, 2.4% is the target. The US already tops the ranking of uh, global science spending with 2.7% of GDP. And it is, it is a world leader that attracts you know, people from all over the world, including Britain, to come yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah. to come and perform science there. To your point, we're proud of you. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. I mean, look, <laughs> you guys didn't learn over. about it, but <laughs> it certainly benefited y'all in the long run. You know, like. So, when is Brexit supposed to go into effect? Halloween. Uh, Halloween, thirty-first of October this year. This year. Yeah. Oh my god! And why was it really Halloween? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's that fucking scary. <laughs> we yeah. are. We, <laughs> sick joke. Uh, <laughs> Trick or treat, both no, that's motherfuckers. True. That's, that's actually true. That's actually yep. true. And uh, at the moment, uh, there isn't a support for it in our parliament, uh, a majority support for it in our parliament, but the current uh, prime minister is saying that he won't hold an election uh, until after uh, that automatic crash out date. So basically he's kind of, Holding his your country, to, holding his country hostage. A, what's called a no deal Brexit. Yeah. Which is basically crash out and go oh, good. back. So it's m- multiple so, chaos. This is yeah. the most chaos possible. So the UK, you know. You, you go to the World Trade Organization rules for uh, treaties between countries and you have to adhere to those instead. And so that's their way of not having to deal with the arguing of what's best mm. uh, and just forcing brexit through so there could have yeah there could access to this science funding as as well as many other things could have been secured in a withdrawal agreement uh but no nothing has been put in place and if the uk crashes out on the 31st of october there there is likely to be a huge knock-on effect for the quality of science that gets done in this country and whilst uh changing the visa status is a good step it is like a, a complete drop in the bucket compared to the damage that will be done. Yeah, and they're trying to spin it as a good thing, but it's it's a Band-Aid for a bullet wound. And for that reason... That's a pretty... Uh, thank you. Yeah, man, that was great. <laughs> for that reason, because you need a well-funded environment to actually attract top quality candidates to come over <laughs> in the first swift. place... <laughs> 
Oh, is that where this from? I don't think so. Uh, okay. I was like, look at this guy. He's a doctor. I don't know if he's a medical doctor. But yeah, this is amazing. Band-aid for a bullet wound. I'm sorry, Mark. We interrupted for that reason. So you you can make the visa situation easier for people from for, uh, other countries to apply if they're wanting to do science. But if your science funding situation is not good enough that anyone wants to come in there in the first place, then it's it's uh, it's a pointless endeavor. And so for that reason. Uh, we're going to have to dub Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Fake, Fake news. Hi, I'm Marvin Stockwell, host of Champions of the Lost Causes podcast, where we explore why people take up causes others think are impossible and what moves those causes forward. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or right here on the OAMnetwork.com. Welcome back to our final section where we take a journal article and explain it to our guests, see what they can take in and throw right back at us. Today's article comes from the journal Biology Letters. The first author is Trevor Worthy. The anchor author is Vanessa Del Pietri. And the title for the article today is Evidence for a Giant Parrot from the Early Miocene of New Zealand. I really thought that when he said evidence for a giant and the next syllable was P, that that word was going to be something very different. Okay, edit that joke out too. Goddamn, guys, you guys got to laugh when we're you do uh, that stuff. <laughs> but this is more fun. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're holding you to a rigorous standard here. All right, all right. So, um, Penis from the from really. the title from the title alone, what do you what do you guys think this is about? I think I just told you what what hit my head. Yeah, <laughs> a giant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, saving me from the gutter. Okay, so uh, giant parrot from the early Miocene of New Zealand. Um, a giant parrot from the a long, pre, long time ago, <laughs> pre Pleistocene era. From a yeah, from a, a long, long Ooh, time ago. So, buddy. so the Miocene is the fourth epoch of the Tertiary period, which is a period that extends from around twenty-three million years ago to about five point three million years ago. I would say that this parrot's ancestors are definitely dinosaurs. You reckon? Yeah, that is not true. Um, yeah, exactly. Too early, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on where you do. <laughs> draw the line of ancestor. You know, it's a bird that probably came from one of, you know, uh, what pterodactyls, uh, supposedly like ancestors of, you know. Pterodactyls are dinosaurs? Yeah. Yeah. And so if it came from They're pterodactyls, kind of like- then I'm kind of right and screw you all for laughing at me. Yeah. Well, God, we're, not ta- we're not talking about this era. Uh, uh, we're talking about, so uh, giant birds tend to actually de- uh, develop quite often in geographically isolated areas. Uh, so on islands often, often, or New Zealand is actually- hey, What makes a bird giant? Larger than the birds that it came from. Bruh. Yeah. Okay, so how big is this giant parrot? Well, we'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that, Doug. Uh, but if you, you can think about like giant birds that- that exist, you know, often flightless, like, um, like emus, ostrich. Ostrich, ostrich, or a rhea. Yeah, for for instance, uh, some that are ex- extinct, uh, like the giant emu-like birds called moa in New Zealand. So New Zealand has a lot of this going on. Uh, so there's, you know, uh, very large geese. See, what I've heard is that if you have a diet high in kiwi, you just you do you just grow like crazy, especially if you're a bird. That's <laughs> that's what I think it is. <laughs> It's that, or maybe it's a lack of predatory mammals in the area 
that allow the growth so you Kiwis. don't have to worry about Kiwis. Kiwis. Kiwis are delicious and hairy. That's what I know about them. The people or the fruit? Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I watched a guy one time eat a kiwi without skinning it. Yup. This is the strangest thing I've ever seen. Yep. He didn't seem to mind at all. He seemed to be totally 100% okay with it. You can't do that. I thought, I was like, I guess kiwis are good enough that maybe you could get through it, but it's like, take. Okay. So, uh, giant mower were discovered in 1839. There are nine known species, or there were nine known species of giant mower in, um, in New Zealand. Uh, but this study is specifically about fossils that come from uh, a specific area of New, of New Zealand. Uh, and, they, and going through that, they looked for and discovered a taxa of bird previously undiscovered in this area. So these, uh, these fossils were, uh, were from the Museum of New Zealand in their Te Papa Tongaroa Gorera collections. definitely pronounced that correctly. I have no idea how to pronounce uh, words <laughs> from that lineage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so th- all they have here is the shafts of left and right tibiotarsi, of which they assume to be from the same individual. They just have the shafts of the giant parrot. They have mm-hmm. the shafts of the tibia, or the so these um. These leg bones, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're not in com- uh, they're not in completely uh, you know perfect con- condition. Uh, they have the at both ends. You can't really see it. All they have are the leg bones of of, of this bird, and so from that they uh, basically conducted an analysis comparing it to other known fossils, and uh, saw that there were the so. These, these leg bones they've got from the shafts to the base of these nimial crests. So that's the part where the extensor muscles of the thigh would connect. And despite, uh, despite not having the, the top and the bottom, they've got enough distinctive traits that define them as a cetaciform, which is a parrot. So cetaciform. Sounds like something that Voltron turns into after he gets more powerful. <laughs> like a Pokemon? Well, I guess he turns into a parrot is what you're fucking telling me right now. So the way that they, the way I, they identified that this is from the parrot lineage is insane. So they, they said that the sulcus extensorius is located near the mid shaft of this leg bone. Said shaft. Again. I feel you chose this. Just he said just shaft again. Yeah. So so, <laughs> like, how did you not think of this the whole time when you were reading it? This is this is a, a deep notch at the top of the tibia. Oh, is the mid shaft the from the bone? Root. That's what happened yeah, on the yeah. giant parrot. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so so this this uh, they're laughing. By the way, to anybody listening, <laughs> yeah. like they are smiling. They are holding mic. their heads yeah. in their faces. Like this is doing great in the room. You might not be able to hear it. So, so these parrot tibias, right? Uh, they're okay. I'm going to say they're distinctly craniocordly flattened. What that means is they're rounder at the top, flatter at the bottom. <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> he, so you, he knew it was coming. Yeah. So you've I got. I could tell in his face it was about to be good. So you've you've got these uh, you've got these tibias that have this distinctive. Uh, distinctive groove, and then they're also rounder at the top, flatter at the bottom. You've got this thing called the pons supratendineus, which is present. That 
Is that underneath the shaft bone? That, it is. Well, it kind of. It shows. It shows up of these ridges surrounding are they, a girl. Are there two of them. Does it tangle a and bit? Can you cup them? <laughs> sway to the left and to the right. It's. It's two ridges at the gully of the base of the tibia. So you've, you can. Uh, so you've got like a small gap at the base of the the tibia, and then these two ridges. So that's the pons supratendineus. And they're, they're aligned horizontally and they're uh, reduced compared to other bird species. Now, the final thing is that they've got these large prominent insertion scars Jesus. from the... God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's insertion so, that goes on with the shaft. So, so, so at the bottom of the tibia, near, near your ridges, you've got this protruding notch. <laughs> there we go. It was coming. Yeah. And so from those feet, <laughs> yeah, from the, the crazy. <laughs> the cra- oh, got by oh me there God. for a second. <laughs> the crazy thing is that just from having these tibias, uh, from those features alone, they were able to eliminate many other species of bird and narrow it down to just the parrot family. Just the parrot family. And from, uh, from these uh, tibia, they inferred the size of the parrot. Uh, their inferred body mass for this was 6.96 kilograms, which might not sound like that much. It's probably, that's around like 15 pounds. What is that, like a lasagna? What it is, is... Twi- <laughs> it's twi- like a family size one. Family you know? size. It's not personal. twice yeah. the mass of the largest known parrot. So this would be the largest parrot ever. A, a giant, giant It would be a giant parrot. Which makes it a giant parrot. Uh, now, like if somebody saw that parrot, their mouth might be wide open what's... and their eyes might get real big like they were surprised. Okay. They might reach out to try and hold such parrot with their hand or something. Right. Yeah. I think you're really Kill interested it. in the length of this parrot. <laughs> yeah. How long was your parrot, Mark? <laughs> yeah. What was the wingspan here? <laughs> it flew? Do we measure it, on they, girth? They assumed that it was flightless. Flightless. Did it, did it have different size. lengths based on how excited it was at any given time? Come on. <laughs> that, uh, I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. So the the largest known parrot currently is uh, around three kilograms. So this is you know it's over twice the size. They named it, but they didn't assign it to a family because they couldn't uh, establish its relationship to other known. Oh, you know, when you parrots. got a parrot that big, you can't be held down by a family. Okay, so now I'm going to give you <laughs> what? What would you name such a giant parrot? <laughs> what would I name? Yeah, what would you name it? Because they, would they I named name it such a giant parrot. I don't, I don't, man, after all the dick jokes we've just made, you'd think I'd come up with one real quick, but you, you, you got me, you got me right at, what would I name such a giant Well, looks- Um, how about, how about, uh, well, see, at first I thought Sir Cox a lot and I don't know why that doesn't have anything to do with parrots. It just sounds fantastic. I don't think the research community would accept that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, Polly wants a penis, you know, it would be another one. That's that interesting because could- the news article that led me into this was Polly wants uh, more than one cracker. So you've got a oh, because it's you, big. You've got a yeah. And, but then they just made dick jokes throughout the whole it wants article. Two crackers, it's right? Oh, twice the, as big. Those are the balls. Yeah. Okay. So the name, the name that this group, <laughs> that <was a> stretch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, na- the name that this Sometimes group. Sometimes you got to stretch it out, and get it ready. You know? <laughs> the name this group gave to this parrot was Heracles, Heracles inexpectatus. Inexpa- which translates as unexpected Hercules. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what she said. 
You're stretching it, man. You're stretching yeah, okay. it. Too yeah. far. Yeah. It was going good before. I'm going to go on for a minute. Now, it, it, uh, so, so a, another type of parrot found in that same area near this place called St. Uh, Barthens uh, was named after Nellius. And uh, in Greek mythology, uh, Heracles, known as Hercules, killed Nellius and his sons except for Nestor. And Nestorids are a type of this uh, New Zealand parrot. So there's a lot of Greek mythology going on in the naming of New Zealand. You said I'm taking it for a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. They went like deep down in like Hercules deep cuts. Yeah. They looked, checked out Hercules B sides and looked for like something they (laughs) mentioned once. And they said, oh, we'll we'll connect that to Hercules. They played the album backwards. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh, Nestor. There he is. Now there are, uh, there are thousands of fossils from this specific area that they, uh, they gathered these from, but these are the largest fossil bones known among the several thousand specimens that are collected from that region. So they found a bone and then they figured all this out. Just from the bone. So here's what I want to know. Who spent the money to bother to figure that out? And how can your British scientists get that money instead? (laughs) (laughs) I believe it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) It's already gone. We're not getting that back. Uh, Money or time. (laughs) Hey, look, we found an old bone. I wonder what kind of parrot this might have belonged to in the past. Shut up. Cure herpes. (laughs) So, so Please. (laughs) So uh, here's the thing. It seems that this happens pretty much everywhere that uh, a bird species will arise on where it has no mammalian uh, predators. So in many of the giant island, or in many of the islands, uh, the first species of bird to arrive on that island tends to be the one that uh, becomes uh, larger, possibly develops flightlessness. Uh, and one of the interesting things about that is like ha- across the species of bird, how possible it is for a, a giant species to develop. It's not necessarily limited to one specific taxa, you know, and this is the first evidence, I guess, of uh, a truly giant parrot okay, in wait the a fossil record. Here's what I'm hearing now. You're telling me that because they found this bone and looked at it, they can now make giant other animals. No, it, it's just giant other animals that already yeah. developed. That's uh, not what. What can I do with that, Mark? What can you do with that? Well, if you think about um, rats in New York, what do you think about rats in New York? People I've heard say they're big. Yeah, they're bigger than other mammals. So you could make them smaller. Is that what you would want to do? Is there an actionable thing that comes out of this, or are we just like we understand a couple things now? So you don't like knowledge for knowledge itself. You oh, like, man, I'm fine with it. I'm just here to be the jerk. You only like the application <laughs> of knowledge. It certainly is uh, more applicable. <laughs> well, like you—he's really kind. That like, wasn't funny at all, but he laughed in the mic uh, for me. And like you could make it. a tiny pig, you know, a micro pig for for your own enjoyment. It's, yeah, it's almost like there was a whole episode of South Park about that. That was brilliant. <laughs> it may be possible for you to do the reverse and make a giant parrot for your own amusement. Now that could be pretty fun. Now, will the giant parrot have a deeper voice? Than smaller parrots. That's what I want to know because then I want to start casting the parrots in various parrot plays and parrot commercials and have a whole acting giant parrot situation going on. I'm going to say yes just to amuse oh, you. And then later, if we can get different parrots of different size, could we have a parrot organ or something like that where you know you have like it's a device that's hooked up to all these different parrots. And then when you press a key, the different parrots at the different pitches make the different sound. I think you're already uh, flouting many. I- 
Don't, I don't see why not. Laws. I mean, that sounds great, right? <laughs> I'm not seeing a downside. Like, why wouldn't you? Okay, so that's, let's go get that funding. You know, like Brexit's losing all this get funding. We can go get the money to make our parrot organ. Get the money. Yep. Horizon 2021 power organ. No, it's Well of Souls, bud. Come well on, get souls. it right. <laughs> well of Souls 22. <laughs> so, 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 guys, this, that was- uh, Also, I dropped organ like four times in there. Y'all didn't notice it. That's that, all right. Okay. That was what this group did. <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave it up to you. What, what, what did the group do? What did they manage to do? Oh, they identified a giant parrot from a bone. From from what kind of bone? A leg bone. From a leg bone. It wasn't connected to anything, but it would have been connected to maybe the hip bone. <laughs> yeah. <It's, laughs> the song was much shorter. Yeah. The leg bone's so connected, connected to, to the, the insertion uh, point and the uh, <laughs> shaft. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was what this group did. And from a leg bone alone, managed to figure out there was a whole other species of parrot. So that brings us uh, to... The end of proceedings today, I do, of course, give my guests a chance to impart some knowledge upon us. So I'm going to start with you, Doug. Do you have a fact that you brought with us today? Oh, hell yeah. For us today? Yeah, I have, I have a lot of facts. Uh, the guy who played, uh, who played King George III in the, in the Broadway production of, of Hamilton is a really good singer. And he was also uh, one of the lead actors on the uh, Netflix series Mindhunter. Mm. And uh, it's also one of the coolest parts of the play. Even with the traveling cast, that guy's great too. Yeah. Yeah. Because they make him look like just a petty idiot. He was. Uh, was he there? Yeah. <laughs> he was I mean, a great. I identified with him. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking forward to the history bits. <laughs> a great king until he went mad. He was using his giant parrot too much, right? Ended up with a little bit of the syphilis. There was a movie. About King George the Third, and they had to call it King George because they thought the American audiences would not understand that King George the Third was not the third part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the third in the series. See, he tried story. to throw a jab back there, but I feel like that's extensive. I feel like if you put a movie in front of Americans called King George the Third, and they'd be like, "Fuck that guy and his tea," and then they wouldn't go watch it at all. That's what's going on there. <laughs> People went and watched it. No. Okay. It won Oscars. <laughs> 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 when was this? Like last year? I've totally checked no, out. No, it was a long time ago. Who played King George the Third? It was about 250 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 250. Y'all were making movies 250 years. Man, how far you guys have fallen. It was a documentary. You were that far <laughs> was, ahead of everyone like, else. <laughs> it was the prequel to The Office. <laughs> it, was, it was a documentary about King George the Third. While it was happening. While yeah. it was happening, yeah. While it was happening. 250 years ago. You might have oh, missed that. Did John Adams show up in it? He went and visited King George the Third one time. That was reality TV. The reality TV. I love how straight they... from British Parliament was Lord. Who plays Lord North? <laughs> I've been hearing a lot about Lord North Lord today. North. The worst prime minister ever. Yeah, the worst prime minister, except for David. Well, <laughs> David Cameron being the worst since Lord North. Yeah, y'all, y'all giving Boris, Boris Johnson, Johnson a pass here, huh? Yeah, Boris Johnson. Well, he's yes, he's, he he's only just started. He's only had like two. Going to oversee Brexit, but he's he's on par. <laughs> yeah, we got to see he's what he does. Par. He will be the last prime minister of the UK potentially. Yeah, if, if Northern Wait Ireland and Scotland decide to split off, Boris Johnson will be the last prime minister. Oh, then he could have his own King George moments where he comes mm -hmm. out and he's like, I'm going to send eight regiments up yeah, to show you how much I love you. Yeah, then in 250 years, there'll be a... There'll be a musical about some hero from Northern Ireland or Scotland wow. who came in here and, uh, you know... And and then you, you know I love how Carlos looks like Lin Manuel Miranda. That's just that's just <laughs> making me happy all day long. I just feel like sitting here, getting to experience the show all over again. 
<laughs> now, I'm now, glad I could be here for you. Thanks, man. <laughs> now, uh, Carlos, do you have a fact for us today? Uh, hmm. Yeah, so speaking of gigantism, um, dwarfism also happens on islands. Mm. And w- one of my favorite um, uh, of our uh, um, ancestors, uh, Homo floresiensis, I think it, this was this little hobbit human creature that lived, I believe, on the island of Java, and it went extinct, I think, 150 to 200,000 years ago. So it overlapped with modern humans. That's crazy. I, I do remember hearing about that. Yeah. How, how what was, was different the, about them? I think they were like three feet tall or something. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and so at these archaeological sites, they found uh, evidence that these creatures were butchering hippos because they were like, miniature hippos wait no oh the hippos were smaller too the hippos were smaller something like that it's like a whole it's like fucking munchkin land (laughs) no it's like munchkin land they also had longer femurs and so they think they were runners oh that's cool yeah so like these little creatures running all over the island hunting animals they probably had language almost certainly i mean dolphins have language orcas have language Mm -hmm. there you go Pretty cool stuff. What's the what was the land called in Gulliver's Travels where everyone was small? Oh, that's Lily. right. Yeah, they had the the small people and then they had the big people. Yeah, on that island, the uh, the people that live there now they actually have these uh, folklore of um, their ancestors interacting with small people. Wow! Really? Yeah, that's cool. That's that's very interesting. Right. We should make a documentary about that. So we many call ideas it, today. We could call it King George. <laughs> Damn. God, that's like four I times. I don't know about that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I keep trying. It's all right. I'll decide whether or not to keep that in. No, you're going to keep all of it in. I know it. You're going to make me listen to every failed punchline. It's okay. As long as you, the people at home, are getting a kick out of my failures, I'm all about it. Well, uh, that I will uh, put you out of your misery because that is the end of the show. But... Uh, <laughs> uh, I do, of course, give my guests a chance to plug whatever they've got going on. So, Carlos, first of all, what have you got to plug today? Yeah, so people can go check us out online at rankedchoicetn.org or follow us on all the social media stuff, rankedchoicetn. Excellent. And uh, Doug, what have you got to plug today? Uh, comma, comedians, as in the punctuation, but not the punctuation actually spelled out, C-O-M-M-A, and then comedians on uh, various social medias. Facebook is the best place to check stuff out. And uh, get on Meetup. Check out Memphis is Funny if you want to see us and other comedy around Memphis. Great. Well, that's been the end of the show. So thank you for coming on. Uh, It's been a pleasure having you. And uh, good, good night. Thanks. Dr. Heckle is an OAM Network production available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and the OAMnetwork.com. Recorded at the Crosstown Concourse in Memphis, Tennessee. Your host was Mark Brimble and Naraj Trevetti. Guests were Carlos Ochoa and Doug Gillen. The show is produced by Mark Brimble and Gil Worth. Music by Kip Yulhorn. Special thanks to Lauren Brimble and the Comma Comedians. Find us on our Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or if you have any questions, comments, or like to get in touch about appearing on the show, our topics you'd like us to cover, email us at drhecklepod at gmail.com.
The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast.